a one and a two and a three and a uh. Welcome to the Tommy Without Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season number four, episode number 14. I am El Gran Tommy Martinez doing this podcast solo. I'm ready to deliver yet another great episode of this podcast available on Apple Podcasts, RSS Podcast, Spotify, and many other of uh, your favorite DSPs or whichever one you listen to podcast on. That is probably the longest musical intro I've ever heard on a podcast, but I loved it. And of course, why not? I was the one that created it. Yes, I am Tommy, your host of the Tommy Without Adam Hard to Name podcast. And I'm glad you're listening because this is going to be a great podcast. I'm feeling good. I got to see Adam this week. (laughs) Actually, in person, face to face. That's pretty incredible. So it's not a recording. It's not somebody disguising his voice over the phone or sending me a text in his name. Flesh and blood, Adam. Oh, how good my soul felt when I saw my friend. You have no idea. And uh, Adam always uh, advertises himself as a, a soulless kind of person. But you should have seen this hug he gave me back when I went running towards him. I said, oh, my friend, I missed you so much. It was a very emotional moment for me. So now I could positively report that he is doing well. So all you people sending emails, there you go. That's his status. His status of returning to the podcast, not so good. So as I've done for the past, I don't know, nine months, I'm going to keep moving on. Going back to the new musical intro, it doesn't have any spoken audio overdub yet. Depending on how I'm feeling, I may or may not add to it. We'll see how that one goes. I still like how I, uh, I tracked it. It sounds pretty good, I think. You could send me your comments, uh, like you always do, to the Tommy N. Adam Pod at gmail.com. And that's, that is Tommy, the letter N, Adam, pod at gmail.com. Also, while I've been uh, 
laboring away, making new things up for this podcast. Three holidays have passed. Juneteenth, Gay Pride Month is over with, America's birthday. It's been really busy. I have to confess that I did participate again in a public nuisance number one holiday, uh, which was the 4th of July. I bought some fireworks for my granddaughters. Uh, and we still have public nuisance number two holiday coming up, which is Halloween. I'll probably participate on that again. So I am falling on my sword. All in the name of being a grandpa. Summer also officially started. And with it all, the home projects are in full swing here at the Martinez Hacienda. Actually, one of the things that came out of the uh, Tommy and Adam reunion this past week was more work for me. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Because the big boss was given some ideas. And obviously, she ran the next day to Lowe's and purchased those things to make her idea a reality. Not looking forward to that one either. But I will tell you what I am looking forward to and have been looking forward to it all week. It's the new formatting of my podcast. Today in rock history, brought to you from the pages of history.com, todayinmusic.com, songfacts.com, and classicbands.com. Not bad, huh? Blueberry Hill. You know that's a Fats Domino's tune. A piano-heavy tune. But this one is covered by our heroes of Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Because on 1956, July the 7th of 1956, after a couple of fights broke out at a Fats Domino concert, at the Palomar Theater in San Jose, California, police tear gas inebriated patrons. And this is way, way before Black Lives Matter. This kind of shit happened all the time, especially at the birth of rock and roll. This is more or less when it was starting to kick up. People were scared shitless. Oh, Martha, they got some of them black boys coming in to sing some of that rock and roll. I think we better call the police. Before they get all our white girls intoxicated and do horrible things to them. And if you think I'm fucking around, I'm not. Because usually that shit was uh, justified like calling Pastor McMillan of the local church or some shit like that. And they'd go off into the sunset looking for all kinds of justification to stop, to hold rock and roll. And in this case, since it was a black proponent of rock and roll, they were just trying to stop black people in general. Let's be real. Politics aside and whatever else you want to believe in, it wasn't just enough to tear gas them while they were drunk, by the way. The local press had a field day calling the outbreak a riot. And here it comes with Reverend Jimmy Rogers Snow citing rock and roll as anti-God and anti-Christian. Fast forward to 2023. Look at your uh, praise teams in these gigantic mega churches, especially the ones with the uh, the fake pastors in there, the the televangelists with the good hair. You know what are those bands composed of? They're a bunch of rock and rollers. They're the praise team. Now I'm not saying the legitimate ones, 
I'm just saying these gigantic mega ones. But still, that was the foundation of that music. You could imagine these assholes, if they were to, let's say, jump into a time machine and come to 2023, they'd have a fucking heart attack right then. They wouldn't be able to go back <laughs> to 19, uh, what is it, 56. And again, thank you to people who have some kind of common sense or uh, critical thinking. The police chief of San Jose, Chief Ray Blackmore, he felt a little differently than the uh, good old pastor. Uh, he didn't blame the music. But he did blame the alcohol, which makes sense. It's under normal conditions, and the music really moves you. You can imagine when you had some chemical happiness running through your body. You take off on extra overdrive. And Fats Domino, Fats Domino as an artist, he was very electric. He was a kind of a tubby dude. He was all happy. You know, he was really into what he was doing. He was a he's a he was perfect personality to continue the rock and roll assault. <laughs> on the general public. And, you know, they were part of this cultural shift because one of the very popular things back then were these shows from the Grand Ole Opry type. And you'd have these guys with their bolo ties, you know, their kind of their, uh, their Kentucky fried chicken colonel suits and ties. And they'd play the banjo and yodel and do all these other things. And that's what they were used to. And they weren't that energetic uh, in their performance. So here comes Little Richard, Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, all these artists that captivated the youth. You know, they wanted to get away from the squares. They were seeing the James Dean type of movies, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. They wanted to be a part of something different. And uh, these African-American artists just gave it to them and inspired a whole slew of artists. Elvis, and Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis. And that made it a little bit more uh, digestible to the American public to see these white artists adopt these types of uh, rhythm and blue-based early rock and roll songs. They may have been arranged a little bit differently, but still at the root, that's what they were. And not only did these artists inspire domestic performers, they also inspired artists overseas, especially in Great Britain. You had the Stones, John Lennon, even Led Zeppelin, amongst many others. And it's a cycle because you fast forward to, I don't know what year it was, maybe 1985, around there, more or less. The hip hop had been uh, on the scene for a while and all of a sudden you had white artists doing it as well. So uh, black music basically has gotten hijacked twice. I think I'm way off here of what this story was all about. <laughs> and since I lost my place and I did mention Led Zeppelin, this past week in the rock and roll news... It was revealed that all three surviving band members of Led Zeppelin were supposed to promote the movie Becoming Led Zeppelin. And that didn't happen. And the opening said Led Zeppelin were supposed to promote the upcoming feature-length documentary film Becoming Led Zeppelin at the Venice Film Festival in 2021. So that was two years ago. And the only one who attended the event was Jimmy Page. Now, if I remember correctly, because I, you know, I follow Led Zeppelin on Twitter. And on Instagram. But there was this big hoopla about this documentary that was going to be coming out. And it kind of fizzled out. And in a ways, kind of uh, blamed COVID for it not being publicized as much. The filmmakers uh, for this documentary believed that getting the three members together uh, in front of the press would give it a gigantic boost. Which, uh, hello, yes, of course. So what's the status of the film? Well, without the attendance or maybe the support of all three surviving members of the band, 
Uh, it's quoted here that the film might be lost, according to a company that continues to work with these filmmakers. The film remains unreleased more than one year after its premiere in Venice in September of 21. Uh, wow. And it was announced in September that the film is being re-edited to add further footage. I think that they should release this documentary. I think it's very cool that uh, maybe the younger musicians can find some kind of historical inspiration on how Led Zeppelin burst out into the scene back in the late 60s. Well, there you go. I combined you a Fats Domino's piece of history along, along with some current stuff that's going on over at the Led Zeppelin camp. Woohoo! It's called Live and Let Die! Carney and Wings, Live and Let Die. One of the coolest things about that song is how mellow it starts. Incredibly nice. And then it dies down for a second and then it hits you with that power G. But if this ever-changing world in which we live in makes you give in and cry do to live and let <laughs> it's too early <laughs> but yeah there you go 1973 july the 7th of 1973 paul mccartney releases live and let die the theme from the james bond movie of the same name it will reach number deuce in the U.S. charts and number nine in the U.K., which is kind of strange, being that the uh, original story of James Bond is set in Great Britain. He's a Secret Service, an MI6 agent who was launched from the base of England out into the world to do whatever it is that secret agents do. During my lifetime, I've known quite a few secret agents. <laughs> They're mainly all married. And they carry on some kind of secretive life of theirs. I don't, I don't understand. Always had something going on. On the weekends, you'd be at a family gathering or a party. It's like, hey, we're such and such. You hear his family speak, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's on some kind of a army mission or something. And I'd be, what? I'm in the same unit of these guys. As a matter of fact, I'm the admin guy. How didn't I know about this army mission? And I'd see him on Monday, still smelling of skank. <laughs> Secret agenting. It's a skill. Some people of uh, low integrity or morality, I guess, <laughs> develop. But that's not what our fictional hero, Mr. James Bond, does. He's a very honorable guy. He does, he does all his killings for the queen. But yeah, let's get back to this uh, to this song, Live and Let Die. And a cool fact about it is that this song was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Which, uh, you know, again, Paul McCartney, pretty cool. You know who he lost to? 
Barbara Streisand's The Way We Were. Police. How's that for suck? This doesn't suck. These are the go-go's. And we got the beat. Where is this? Oh, okay, live. Live at the, uh, mm, let's do that bass. Yeah, live at the Whiskey A Go Go. Nice. This is a piece of pop gold. I actually liked the Go Go and their catchy songs when I was coming up. I was maybe about mm, 16, maybe 17. I know I was in high school. Sure, there was the Sabbath and Rush and Triumph, Van Halen, but you know, also these were chicks, and that was their thing, and they were cute. And I think we're all familiar with the legend or the story goes that these are uh, rowdy chicks. Very much so. Live the rock and roll lifestyle. You know, drugs, drinking, banging dudes. Even had uh, internal conflicts as a band. Here's something you may have not known about the Go-Go's. That in the late 70s, Belinda Carlisle and Jane Wyland and some chick called Margot Alavallera, who used to hang out with them, they were attending punk rock shows back in California. And they actually, all three of these actually attended uh, the Sex Pistols' final performance in San Francisco. And they were inspired to start a band of their own, even though they didn't know how to play or do any of these things that are needed to actually form a band, or at least a viable band. There's a lot of stories like that, and I believe it. The Germs, the punk band that Pat Smear of the Foo Fighters came out of, was the same way. But anyway, on their road to success, they contracted Charlotte Caffey. And she was now the lead guitarist, and she had some experience writing songs and whatnot. And, you know, they replaced these, uh, I think they replaced the drummer and the bass player, Georgina Schock and Kathy Valentine. Next thing you know, bam, they're on their way to making a great record and on to stardom with that lineup. It was a matter of being at the right place at the right time, this all-female group. And that's the go-go story for this episode. Don't do a lot of that, but yeah, sure, why not? Jump in the fire! You know who this is? This is Metallica's Jump in the Fire Live! I know you're banging your head. I know you're banging your head because I am. Down in the depths of my fiery home. Tempting you Kill them all. July the 25th of 1983. Metallica releases their brutal debut seminal album. Kill them all. If you've been to a Metallica show, you have sung along. To the Four Horsemen, Seek and Destroy, Whiplash, and other thrash metal favorites such as Hit the Lights. And that's if you're lucky, because they have to mix up the playlist 
on the shows to include these great classics off of their album, Kill Em All. I think that I've heard in every single Metallica show that I've been to, at least Seek and Destroy and Whiplash. Not so much Hit the Lights, not so much Jump in the Fire. As a matter of fact, not so much The Four Horsemen either. And when I think about this record, I also think about Am I Evil? So Metallica is out on the road and they're uh, on their current tour, 72 seasons, supporting their new record. From what I hear, as I hear in all Metallica shows, phenomenal excellent the guys are in top shape and more importantly james hetfield uh let's see uh let's see where they're at uh this summer i just thought about that real quick let me see metallica tour uh dates mm-hmm. uh stub hub of course uh would be uh okay august the 4th the beginning of next month, they are at East Rutherford, New Jersey. And it says there, this event is selling fast. All the events are selling fast, damn it. And if you didn't know, it's a two-day festival type of event. So one ticket gets you in both days. Don't quote me on that, but I believe that's what the deal is. Let's go ahead and look at the prices. Oh, they're not too bad. They're not too bad at all. They're, they start here at uh, $97 at Nosebleed. So, and I think this is the stadium where the Giants, uh, the New York Giants play, the NFL team. Not too bad. They go all the way here, at least on this website. Oh, they just keep going up and up and up. But yeah, yeah, decent prices. 137, 140, and they just keep going. 154, it's not that bad. It's I've paid more than that to see a, an artist. And uh, not bad at all. After that, they are headed towards Canada, it says here. And then they're coming back to Arlington, Texas on the 18th of August. That'd be nice to go. Hmm, okay. Well, let's check out the prices on that one. Oh, okay. Those are not bad either. Those start at 87. In Dallas, they are going up in the AT&T Stadium. So this is definitely a major stadium tour. Those venues are pretty good to do some moshing if that's your shit. Like dumbasses. To be punching people and running like crazy people in circles right there in those stadiums to uh, Metallica's Kill Em All songs. We'll switch it up a little bit with some Alice in Chains from back in 1990. Man, in the box live. Nice. Aha. July the 6th of 19. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, save me. <laughs> Won't you save me? <laughs> Grunge music. July the 6th, 1991. Wow. Taking baby steps, it says here. They were bursting on the scene. Alice in Chains' first album, Facelift, peaked at number 42 in the U.S. 
and Man in the Box goes to be number 18 on the Mainstream Rock Chart. Mainstream Rock Chart. I guess that must be like uh, all the different flavored potato chips. Same thing. You had to break down the rock charts into these different kind of categories. Still, this is he- this is heavy rock and roll. Has nothing to do with mainstream rock charts. In my opinion, it fits right into rock and roll. And here's something that always kind of sets me aback. Allison Chain was the first one to break out of that grunge scene, kind of into the mainstream. And they don't get the credit such as, let's say, definitely Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, etc., etc. Even though to me, Soundgarden's album, I think it was uh, Ultra Mega OK, I think it was called. And they had a out on MTV, oh God, what was the name of that thing? Flowers or something like that. They were playing in the 80s already on MTV. And it played pretty regularly. And it probably on Headbangers Ball. And that's my guess. It's been a long time. And returning to Alice in Chains, what made them stick out was that uh, vocal combinations of Elaine uh, Staley and Jerry Cantrell. When I heard first, when I first heard this song, so you get the beginning of the song, it's going, rah, 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 that part right there. When I first heard that song, I thought it was a talk box and not Lane Staley. And let's be very clear, I've said this before, what makes a rock group is a distinctive lead singer. In this case, it was almost like two singers between Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley. And to me, that's what made them very unique. Not only that, it's just a combination. A voice, a singing voice, is an instrument and can be used very effectively on a song. If you go into the records a little deeper than just the man of the box, uh, here comes the rooster, wood, you'll get to hear what I'm talking about. And you could be your own judge. Then you could drop me a line, send me an email at tommynadampod at gmail.com. <laughs> This is a call. That's a very young David Grohl. The Foo Fighters, of course, released uh, his debut album because it was mainly... David Grohl behind it, man. Mr. Dave Grohl. Uh, Back in July the 4th of 1995. Completely insane. Wow. That was recorded live at the Brixton Academy in England. Foo Fighters numero uno album. The first one. Recorded just for fun by Dave Grohl. And we all know the story behind that. Quick recap, people liked it, Dave got some musicians to go along with him, created this band called the Foo Fighters, and rah, the rest is history. For some reason, I always tend to forget This Is A Call, this song that I played a brief part of, is on the actual debut album. I always have Big Me stuck out in my brain. What an appropriate song to title This Is A Call. And right at the beginning of the second phase of your incredible rock and roll life. I just played the drums for one of the biggest bands in the world, which is Nirvana. Our lead singer kills himself 
I record this album for fun and as kind of a uh, musing way to work it out like a therapy. And I'm calling to tell you right now, get ready, because I'm going to be unleashed upon the world with this thing that I created called the Foo Fighters. I'm not going to lie to you. At the beginning, I thought, what? What's this guy doing? I would have never imagined it became this big. But you would see Dave growing company in interviews, and they're having all this great fun. And they, didn't, they seem so nonchalant about things like fame and popularity, which he has enough of. And uh, you could see it through not only his interviews, but also his music videos, his guest appearances, you know, everything from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, introducing people into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, playing drums on other people's records, doing things like Queens of the Stone Age, everything to Sesame Street, where he has this epic drum battle with Monster. When it comes to Foo Fighters, I'm such a fan that I could probably keep on going, but I'm not going to. Foo Fighters also out on the road, supporting their new record as well, just like Metallica. You could go ahead online and check those tickets out yourself. And the new drummer, Josh Freeze, is doing really good, coming along, syncing with the rest of the band, not only musically, but as a personality. Check it out. It's in the Rock News. of heavy metal hard rock and great music all together that's november rain well that's the first solo off of uh, november rain live by the way nice i love it There goes the second solo. <laughs> oh, you know you were drumming along as well. November Rain off of uh, Use Your Illusion. Great hit. Wow. 15 July 2018. You know, you know I've hit all the powerhouses on this first official revamped Time and Adam Hart to name podcast. Let's get back to this. Before there was Justin Bieber and Bad Bunny and a bunch of other quote-unquote musical artists breaking records when it came to views on YouTube, there was Guns N' Roses. And this song right here, the video for this song right here, November Rain, became the first 90s music video to surpass the billion views on said uh, internet page or channel YouTube. The next closest was uh, the Cranberries zombie video. Anyway, we all know this uh, great music video. It's like a little movie. Uh, they have the, the 
chapel, and I think Axl Rose getting married, and there's a wedding party. And of course, the classic scene where Slash rolls out of the chapel, and all of a sudden he's in the middle of the desert. It looks like it's in the middle of, like, let's say, western Texas, where it's all deserty. And the camera shot is just going round and round where Slash is at. Close-ups uh, from the side, from the top. And it's uh, just a very kind of a weird uh, sensation as you see Slash slam those solos we just heard on that little cut that I provided. The video goes back and forth from the wedding to the wedding party to the end where it's kind of a the storm comes in through the reception and it turns everything to shit people running away from the rain they're dodging each other they're getting underneath tables the cake eventually gets ruined and then it ends with axel on his knees being soaked in rain looking up at the sky and he's in some kind of turmoil some internal conflict he's going through and he's yelling or he's thinking to himself why why did i get married which is a question a lot of us asked no, I've been married to my beautiful bride going on 34 years. This week I was asked, as a matter of fact, what was the secret to our longevity? And I'm like, it's no fucking secret to the longevity. It just, it's just something that takes, a, you know, it takes work. Two people who love each other have to live with each other. And it just, that's just the way it goes. That's the way there's a special relationship there. A unique dynamic to couples. Uh, you know, you can't really put that into words. So uh, being my typical self, I just said, the real question is, how many divorce farts? Yes, farts, divorce farts. Can, can the other person withstand? <laughs> that's, the, that's the real question. And if you want my advice, start blasting them now before you get married. <laughs> Going back to this metaphor of a, a video, which is November rain. Because I think it's just that. It's a metaphor to a relationship between two people that starts out pretty good. There's all this happiness and whatnot. And then, ah, oh, some of them just goes sour. It goes south. It goes bad. And it was represented to me. It was represented in the, uh, the reception as it just blew up like an atomic bomb. Maybe that's why so many people went back to it. They related to it. Whatever it was, it surpassed a billion. Ah, the wonders of interpretive art. And human misery. They always seem to go together. One, two, three, four. This weekend. Oh, yeah. Kiss. Even with the revamp of this podcast, we won't ever leave Kiss out. Your grandma out of here. Sing it, Jean. Baby, if you're feeling good, and baby, if you're feeling nice, you know your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce. And 
fan recorded on top of that. Ooh, man, I love it. There's some things that just pump me up, and that's one of those songs. And baby, do the things I says to do. <laughs> and, and, and before I go into history, this is such a great song. It's off their uh, first album. What I recall from it is it was written uh, by Gene Simmons, and it means nothing. <laughs> it's just a bunch of words thrown together. It's been interpreted as your man's work very hard, and uh, he deserves to get laid at least twice. And it's kind of weird because it starts with, get up, get your grandma out of here. So you, you got to kick your grandma out the house while you're doing your business. Uh, if I remember correctly uh, from a Ace Fraley interview, I believe he said that this was the first song that he played alongside Gene, Paul Stanley, and Peter Chris at his audition for lead guitarist. They initially played the song as a trio, and they said, go ahead, Ace, play along. And he did a lot of the lead work right then and there. This is why this is his favorite Kiss song. This is what I recall from the interview. I may be right or wrong. You think about it, it's mind-blowing. You're in some kind of a studio rehearsal hall. You're asked to play along. No sheet music, nothing. And you're able to do this amazing work and, by the way, get hired as the lead guitarist or whatever other instrument you came in and played for this audition. That's, it's, it was just meant to be. And one last thing about Deuce is sometimes instead of Detroit Rock City, I know I've heard Deuce as the opener. So yeah, it's a pretty powerful song. Gets you going. And in the mood for a fantastic show, which we all know KISS provides. Okay, this week in history is more like a news story, actually. Ultimate Classic Rock last month on June the 30th put out a story that says Simmons speechless after Chris and Fraley's KISS reunion refusals. Mm. We all know KISS is at the end of the road tour where they're going to be wrapping up and not touring anymore. That's what they say. We also know their last show was going to be in New York City at the Madison Square Garden. And that's their hometown. That's where they originated from. We also know the hardcore fans love Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley. So obviously to see them there at those last shows, because there's two of them, would be a great experience. I've seen the four original band members play back in their first reunion back in uh, 1997. Now here's a quote from Gene Simmons that says, For the fans, the ones who've been around for 50 years, they're old. And some of them want to see Ace and Peter. The newer fans never saw them, and they don't know. But the older fans wonder about Ace and Peter. And that was off of Linear Rock, the magazine that was interviewing Gene. There's been so much drama with the older members who had come out of the group for X or Y reason. And, you know, I mean, it's all about big business, at least in my opinion. It's entertainment is big money. Uh, so I could see where Gene has come and approached this because it also says I've asked both Ace and Peter a few times. Do you want to come out for the encore? Do you want to do some shows? And they both said no. So I don't know what to say about that. Think about it. That's a lot of money to be made. Why would you say no to that opportunity? I wouldn't know myself. Now, again, to be objective here, let's go ahead and say that's what, you know, at least that's what the KISS camp is putting out. That's what the, the spin is coming out of there, at least news-wise. 
Because on the other hand, the Ace Fraley camp has put out, at least Ace Fraley has in some interviews he's done for the press and also for Eddie Trunk. He's been approached and uh, he just is demanding some exuberant amount of cash. And rightfully so. Uh, We as fans, I think, need to understand that. It's like uh, when you go to a show, you're out there to have a good time. You're out there to forget the worries and woes of your day. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my coffee's here. Thank, Thank you, sweetheart. Okay, where was I? Okay, yeah. So if you look upon that entire production, you're going to see this big corporation going from town to town, mounting, putting up this uh, spectacle for the crowd. And behind all this, there's a lot of moving pieces, everything from the truck drivers, the stagehands, the electrical crew, the technical team, the wardrobe and makeup department, security all the way to the big corporate heads at these uh, headquarter firms, which are agencies that uh, manage the artists. Sometimes we forget that the big dollars that we pay to go see these shows are funding all this. So if you look at it kind of like, let's say what's, let's say if Apple stores would go town to town, mount this insane big convention or something like that, and they would sell their products at that point, then it would create all this hysteria and whatnot because people love Apple products. They love that shit. And people would go spend their money and then they would break it down and go to the next. Let's say they would revive this old big ass squared iPod that was done in the early 2000s and it was revamped and it wasn't going to be available after they said it was going to be available for the crowd to purchase, people would be let down. And the reason would be is because this old squared big ass iPod brought a lot of nostalgia to this person. So it would be the same thing kind of corporate wise that your rock and roll entertainers would not be there. I personally don't think that Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley are just putting out an olive branch of peace for Ace Fraley and Peter Chris just because. That's why all these negotiations had to take place before to lock this in. So you could sell a shit ton of tickets at a super high price. And the trigger to all this is nostalgia. Saying all this, that's probably why, and again, this is just my guess, after that horrible bad example I just gave, that Gene Simmons is perplexed, if he truly is, that these two guys would turn him down. And I really don't think he gives a shit either way. They're just seeing, and when I say they, the Kiss, the Kiss Corporation, the Kiss Company, is just seeing a way to make more money. Either way, I'm not going to the last show, so I, I hope they, they truly do work it out. You know, they have enough money to pay these guys. At least that's what I highly suspect. And you'll make a lot of fans happy. And at the end of the day, the fans, we, the fans, are the ones who fuel, are the ones who pay for all this. Come on now. If artists really love us, as they say on stage, they'll do <laughs> the right thing. Did you hear that? They love us. And it is time for... Hashtag! What the frijoles? And this one's titled, This Double Toilet for Lovers Let's Couples Poo at the Same Time. I was mentioning previously the uh, the formula to a successful marriage is uh, withstanding, is resisting divorce farts. Let's 
let's take it up a notch and see what you could uh, accomplish doing duty together with uh, your loved one. And this article is off of Oddity Mall. You'll find it at the bottom, at the description of this podcast, if you don't believe me, because this shit actually exists. No pun intended, by the way. There are plenty of concept products designed that we've posted that we'd love to see come to fruition. But as it stands, this toilet made for two lovers to poo at the same time might get added to the bottom of the list. (laughs) Initially inspired by a Saturday Night Live skit, the double lovers toilet idea has taken off and made into reality. And by the way, the What the Frijoles segment from day one has always been real news. It just makes you think, What the Frijoles, this has to be bullshit. But in this case, just like the other cases, it's not. There was an actual product made to resemble the one quite similarly shown on the SNL skit. Not too long ago, it was sold for quite a while. But the company's domain name, WiseRep.com, has since expired. Very needless to say, the toilet didn't sell that well, according to this news piece. And why wouldn't it? The sales pitch was, for couples who want to do everything together, the toodaloo is a lover's toilet that can be used by the two couples simultaneously. It also saves water. (laughs) First of all, couples weren't meant to do everything together. Let's let's be honest. Much less take dumps together. If you have been in army barracks at basic training, at least in the olden days like I experienced in the army, you take dumps with a bunch of motherfuckers with no stalls. And it's not two toilets. It's a bunch of toilets lined up right next to each other. There's no wall. There's no stall. There's nothing to shield you and your sacred time of taking dumps. Just like that. It's nasty. (laughs) Yes. How does that conversation even start? Oh, come on, honey. Let's go ahead and let's do some dookie together. (laughs) We can bond. Oh, we can bond. (laughs) And and make our love stronger. It'll be like symphonic shitting, you know? It's shitting and farting and peeing together. That's just gross. But if you're one of those people and you have to do all kinds of shit together, literally and figuratively, you can check it out on the link below. (laughs) And that was this episode's Hashtag What the Frijoles. (laughs) Yeah, right. Do the uh, dual shitting after you eat some frijoles. <laughs> That'd be fun, too. Shitting in tandem. <laughs> A new low for my podcast. Now that I think about it, I close the podcast out usually with the good times and the bad times. But uh, I've taken care of some of that during the recording of this podcast. So you know what? I'm going to go ahead and call this. Yeah. As always, I want to thank the Legion of listeners and fans. Whoever else objects themselves to this podcast, I really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious or anything else I've said on this podcast. Question everything and don't believe anyone. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions.
That's right. I am your host, El Gran. Tommy Martinez, thank you. And you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Remember to always play it often. Play it loud. But play it. 